0: be seated. Like most men, I, I don't do well when I'm sick. I don't feel too good. So really, um, I need the Lord to show up. We need the Lord to show up. Um, Father, let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we believe that your word is alive. Father, we believe your word is alive for every person. Lord, would you put away from us anything that would distract us from hearing your voice? Would you speak to us? um, Each person, you may have a particular message through this passage of Scripture. And Father, we would just not be sitting under 20 minutes of talking, but we would hear the very words of God Um, And you would apply it to our lives as you see fit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be here in Carolina. I uh, actually have a Bible that has duct tape on it. You might be a redneck if. I would not take this to a lot of parishes, but I knew it would be okay in Ben's church. So, today we're going to be in Romans 1. If you have a Bible, it's a lot more fun if you follow uh, follow along. We're in Romans 1. And I kind of want to tell you the bottom line up front. If you're in the military, you may know that term bluff. Bottom line up front. I want to tell you what the end goal is. At the end of this time together, I'm going to ask you to go home, and in two minutes or less, hopefully in one minute, but in two minutes or less, succinctly state what the gospel is, so you could talk to a non-Christian, not to a seminarian, not to a priest, not to a deacon, uh, but to a non-Christian, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the goal, bottom line up front. So we start in Romans chapter 1, and Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I don't know, maybe you're like me. Maybe you came to Christ in college. And maybe as you came to Christ, you had some friends that were fraternity brothers and others that were Christians. And so when you're with your Christian friends, you were a Christian. And when you're with your fraternity brothers, you were a fraternity brother. Mask, 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 mask. There are times where... I was, uh, I would, I would never have said this, but actually I acted as if I was ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He took me from being a lost, blind, helpless person who did not know my left hand from my right hand, who was completely self-absorbed and selfish, leading a life that was increasingly destructive and in his mercy for, for nothing that I did only because of his mercy. He grabbed me, he rescued me and he offered me this amazing gift called faith. And this, not of myself. It was nothing I did. I wasn't looking for it. It was mercy. It was just mercy. It was what Titus 3 said. It was the mercy of God. It's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. It's by grace you're saved through faith. And this, not of yourself. It's the gift of God. I remember right after I became a Christian, I had a friend named Fred placed it. Now, I don't know. Maybe some of you know him. Uh, maybe you don't. Maybe he's listening on, uh, on the internet, but poor Fred ran into a guy who'd been a Christian about three months and another older man named Bill Andrews. And we cornered him in Bill Andrews house. And for about two and a half hours, because we could not succinctly sum up the gospel, we threw every scripture that we knew at this guy. I'm not kidding you for two and a half hours, poor Fred, about an hour and a half into it. You could just tell he was going to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and savior. <laughs> Because he wanted to get out of there. <laughs> now, we're going to get to the text in a second, but I want to ask you, if I were to call you up this morning and said, hey, um, could you summarize what the gospel is? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but I want to ask you, not first whether you're ashamed of it, do you know it? Do you know it? Now, we've got some really smart people in here. Father Ben, and um, Jesus, you've been, you've been to seminary, and some of you guys went to um, uh, Moody, Right? How would you feel if we were to bring a non-Christian, just pull one off the street and say, okay, you got two minutes. Tell them what the gospel is in language that they can hear it. Uh, uh, maybe. Or maybe you'd be like me and Bill Andrews with Fred Placeda just give, using the Gatling gun. Scriptures. You hope one or two of them will sink in. Right? So I went to the, uh, went to, went to the YouTube, as my mother says, on the worldwide <laughs> Internet. I went to YouTube, and I thought, you know, surely there's some bright people, a lot smarter than I am, that, that can do this. And I'll learn from them, and, hey, I'll use this as my sermon on Sunday. That'd be great. So I went and looked at some people that I think are pretty smart. I went to listen to Tim Keller. Ravi Zacharias, who's amazing, by the way, if you've never heard him. Ravi Zacharias, I, I listened to N.T. Wright. He's a really smart fellow. He suffers no lack of self-confidence, but He is brilliant. <laughs> he is brilliant. I listened to R.C. Sproul, and I realized, you know, he's not Anglican, but he has preached at the Falls Church. I listened to R.C. Sproul, John Piper. He does not suffer a, a lack of confidence either. Uh, John Piper and David Platt and a bunch of other people. And the thing that was confusing to me is that when they're explaining the gospel, most of their YouTube videos, I mean, there were one or two that were five minutes. But most of them were like 90 minutes. 90 minutes. And you know what? I, I've been to seven years of seminary. Seven years. And I left there confused, scratching my head. And so I said, well, certainly Campus Crusade. If anybody can sum up the gospel, sum up the gospel, it ought to be Campus Crusade. That's what they do for a living. They go on college campuses. It's called Crew, And they share the gospel with nonbelievers. And so I said, okay, what is it they say about the gospel? How do you, how do you share the gospel? Well, they came up with four words. It's kind of like when you ask a kid, how old are you? Four I'm four, four words. The, here are the words. Problem, penalty, provision, decision. Now you'll forget all that. I could ask probably any one of you afterwards and go, I have no idea what you said. PPPD, PPPD, PPPD. Do you remember that? PPPD. All right. What are the, what are the four words crew uses? Campus Crusade. Problem, penalty, provision, and decision. When they explain the gospel, they use these four words. The first one is problem. All men and women, boys and girls, have a problem, and that problem is sin. sin. Right. Nobody had to convince me I was a sinner. I knew it. Right? I promise you, nobody has to yell at me and tell me I'm a sinner. I already know it. The problem is sin. The second P or second word is penalty. Penalty. Uh, the penalty is what? What, 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 what? What's a paycheck? What is the wage or paycheck that we earn for sinning against God? The good news is you earn a paycheck. The bad news is the paycheck is death. The wages of sin is death. You might say, well, that's not fair. A loving God would never do that. Well, yes, he would because he's holy. Who are you, the clay, to talk to the potter and say, that's not fair? Do you determine fair? How arrogant. And so we have a problem that's sin and the penalty or the wage that we earn for sinning against God is death, his death. He's a holy God. He's not, he's not going to let anybody into his camp that's not holy or doesn't have the holiness of Jesus. The third word is provision. That in Jesus Christ, um, that God made provision for your sin and my sin, that he actually sent his son to die on the cross. If you want to read Isaiah 53, it's one of the most awesome chapters in the entire Bible. If you want to hear the gospel in the Old Testament, go to Isaiah 53. He was chastised for you. Our punishment was laid on his back. He was like a lamb being led to slaughter. And so there's a problem, which is sin. There's a penalty that's death. There's a provision. Um, Jesus' death for our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous to lead us to God, to bring us to God. But then the last word, which, remember I told you it was P, 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 D. So the last word is decision, decision. Billy Graham liked that. He named his magazine after it. Decision Magazine. And I'm sure if you talk to somebody from Crusade, they'd probably say, well, rightly understood, there's gospel in this. But I come away from this thing, decision. The decision is to place our faith in Christ. Kind of sounds like God's doing everything. And then I get to the end. And now they're saying, and now it's your decision. The weight is on you, Quig. You need to have faith. You need to work up sufficient faith that you can make a decision once and for all. To choose Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, that may be true, but it, it, it starts to sound like a heavy weight is put on my back. It starts to sound less about what God has done in his son, Jesus Christ, once and for all. And more about what my job is or my responsibility to decide and to have faith. And so, for crew, some people that may work, I'm going to take us back... To the word in Greek. What does the word uh, gospel mean? I mean, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. What does the word gospel mean? I mean, I think you could probably take half the rectors and some denominations and ask them what the gospel is. What what does the word mean? What does the word gospel mean? Well, everybody knows it means good news. You. Angelion, which means what literally in Greek. What does it mean? Message. Message. Good message. Whereas N.T. Wright says, good announcement. So the gospel at his heart is not about things you do or don't do. It's about something God has done and is doing and will do. God is making an announcement that his kingdom is breaking in. In the person of Jesus, he's come on a rescue mission to uh, forgive you of your sin and to offer you this gift of faith and to make you a son or daughter, you can have a good, good father. That's who he is. That's who he is. Now I wanna go back to the text. We're in Romans one. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is what? You wanna know what the gospel is? What's the gospel according to Romans one? It is the power, whose power? Could you just relax and take all the burden off yourself? The gospels are not about what you do and how clean a life you live. Trust me, God can clean you up. God can clean you up. Whatever your sin is, he can clean you up. The gospels about the power, not of you, but of God. The gospel is the power of God. And what does the the gospel do? There's an end, there's a means uh, and also an end. What's the end goal? of the gospel. It is the power of God for what? For salvation. You know, I grew up in the Episcopal church. I was an acolyte, and I used to hate the word saved. I mean, we didn't use that in our church. I didn't like that word. Y'all saved. You know, we thought that was for other kind of people. <laughs> but you know what? I can tell you by age 21, I realized I needed saving. You didn't, you didn't have to yell at me. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was self-destructive. I knew I was selfish. And, and I saw the brokenness around me. I saw the shame. I saw my parents' bad marriage. I saw so many things. I worked as a paramedic. I saw people that were dying. People looking at me in the eyes and said, pray for me. Hookers, prostitutes, kids had been murdered. I saw so many terrible things. I knew the world was a broken place. I didn't know what to do with it. And I was, I was desperate for something more, for a new kingdom that is not of this world. And so the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Well, who gets, who is that offered to? Let me ask you, who is that offered to? It says, well, unless you're Calvinists, but. (laughs) (laughs) We are four-fifths Calvinists, aren't we? Yes, we are. So anyway, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone. To everyone who what? Isn't that awesome? God is absolutely fair. Whatever you may think, the scripture declares that he is absolutely fair. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay, so that's what the gospel is. And we go on in verse 17. Who knows what Romans 1.17 is about? Does anybody know the history behind this verse? If you don't, you will Hey, do you, know, do you know what Romans 1.17? do you know what, it, it kind of launched a little movement. Yes, Martin Luther, Roman Catholic priest, is reading this verse. And he was, a, I guess, a good priest. He loved the Lord. He loved the church. But he was taught that you're justified and made right by what you do. And the focus really, honestly, somehow, without even knowing it, got off God and got on the person. And so there he is in the tower and he's reading the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith and we know that faith is a gift this is not of yourself and so for Luther this was mind-blowing he's like but that's not what I've been taught and if this part is wrong I mean the most essential part of the gospel of how I I made right with my heavenly father. If I've not been taught this right, what else may not be right? And so as the Holy Spirit began to send him deeper and deeper into God's word, he took out a plume and a piece of parchment and he began to write. And you may know those as the theses that he nailed on the Wittenberg door. And it launched the Protestant Reformation. As he discovered the gospel, the righteous shall live by faith. Now let's go to verse 18. This is the verse that they like to X out of. A lot of major denominations don't like to have hard sayings in their lectionary, in their reading. So they just X them out. At our church, we don't X them out. Because we don't think that's a faithful way to read God's word. So it says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and un- the unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what's being revealed? What is the nature of God? We we have prayer time in our church. Oh, God, you're a good, good father. You're loving. You're this. You're that. I don't hear anybody in my church in the prayers of the people say, God, you are a wrathful God. Because somehow we think that's not good. But you cannot change the character of God. Because of his holy love, he has a holy wrath. Because of his holy love for his kids and for his son. And for his kingdom, he he has wrath that's going to be poured out on all those who hurt his children against all ungodliness and all the unrighteousness for all people who suppress the truth. Lord, have mercy. May a millstone be hung around your neck if you don't present the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are within earshot. The wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness. Now, I think this might be being recorded, but could I just share a story with you? If you promise not to tell, <laughs> raise your hand. I do solemnly swear. <laughs> I, got, I got yelled at for telling the story, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. It's, it's not something I'm proud of. Kids, I'm not telling you to do this. It's my flesh, but I did it. When my kid was about 11 years old, I loved my son. I love my son. One of the neighbor kids, a little smart aleck kid, came over and he smacked my, my son behind the back of his head and about laid him out cold on the floor. Now, as a father, what do you want me to do? Oh, peace of the Lord be with you. <laughs> mm. Ben, as they said in the movie, mm, I saw red. <laughs> okay, I realize it's a sin, please forgive me. So what I did is I picked that kid up by a shirt and uh, I attached him to the wall. And I, had, I got about one inch from him, and we had a conversation. <laughs> because why? I mean, maybe I was being a redneck. Maybe I was. But it, there was just righteous indignation. No, you do not cold cock my son behind the head. He never again touched my son. And so the, God has a holy wrath. That's the full picture of his nature. He's a good God. He's loved. But he's, because of his love, there's wrath. Then in verse 19, it goes on to tell more about... This great God and his gospel. Again, God is absolutely fair. What does it say in verse 19? It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now, I want you to take a breath so you get some oxygen. It's very hot in here. Go. Okay. What is this saying? God is absolutely fair. Why are all men without excuse? According to this verse, why? Because when you look at the created order, name some things in the created order. Stars. Stars. You ever go out at night away from ambient light and you look up there and you're like, oh my goodness. Or maybe you put on night vision goggles and then you go, oh my, 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 my goodness. What else have you seen that just blew your mind? Maybe up in Canada, they have one in the U.S. and one in Canada, the better ones in Canada, you might have seen Northern Lights, Lights, but I was thinking of Niagara Falls. (laughs) What else have you seen in the created order that made you you go, oh my goodness, the Grand Canyon? Oh my Lord, who could create something like this? Or the ocean? Or maybe you've been on a cruise ship and you look out and there's land nowhere and you're like, what kind of God could make something this magnificent? Or you could look at all the different animals or the things that swim in the deep, deep sea or some of those funny animals God made. And you see that and the Bible says when you see those things, or maybe with a microscope even, when you go down that way, the Bible says you're without excuse because you see God's what? You see his... Invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature. They said they're clearly perceived. God has shown them. So all men are without excuse. When you see those things, you see them and you go, there is a creator God, and I'm not that creator God. There's a God, and it ain't me. There's a God, and it's not me. I can tell by looking at the created order. I can see the fingerprints of a holy God. And I am called to worship that God. And so God is absolutely fair. You know, you say, what about the person in the rice bush in uh, India? I've been to the rice bush in India. Let me tell you, not many of them are asking the question. And I would say, if you're worried about, you think God's so unfair, then you need to go to the rice bush in India. What about the person in Africa? You know what? I'll say God is absolutely fair to them because they see the created order. They know there's a creator God and they're called to worship him. And God will hold them accountable on whether they worship him or not. And so then we go on. Let's finish. In verse 21, it says, although they knew God, they, although they knew God, uh, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. Although they knew God. Do you know, according, according to the New Testament, unless I miss something, all people, when they see the creator, they know God. They may not know everything about God, but they do know God. That's why in the scriptures it says, God says, depart from me. I never knew you, but we know God. We know there's a creator God and it says, although they knew God, they did not. What they didn't honor him. Does it sound like today? Does it sound familiar? Sometimes it sounds like me, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. That's really worship, right? They didn't give thanks to God. They didn't worship him. But they became futile in their thinking. See, there's a cost. There's a cost to making an unholy exchange for worshiping the creature rather than the creator. There's a cost to that. So he says, um, the people who rejected God, they became futile in their thinking and their hearts became foolish and darkened. And they claimed to be wise. So what you see is arrogance comes in. After rejection of God comes arrogance. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they made... Uh, this unholy exchange. They exchange the glory of the immortal God, their creator, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Now, how dumb do you have to be to worship something you've made and think it's God? Can you imagine being that guy or gal? You take out a chisel and a hammer. Maybe you've got a piece of rock and you're going, I am going to make a God for me. I'm, you know, I'm going to make it or maybe it'd be an Asherah pole or maybe whatever you're going to make with your hands. And then like the children of Israel, we're going to say, this is our God. This is the God who brought us out of Egypt. This is our God. How stupid is that? That you make your own God. Let's land the plane. It says in verse 24, therefore God, because they had rejected him, made this unholy exchange Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to do impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Let me give you a happy ending. You ready? Let's get a happy ending. The great news is if you're not a believer and I don't assume you're a believer. I sat in church for t- well, I, I sat in church or was a baby in church for 21 years. I was an acolyte. I mean, you couldn't get any closer to be to the priest, to the pulpit than I was. And I was in a rural church and I was there every Sunday. I was an acolyte. And yet I did not know the Lord. And what I'm telling you is if you don't know Christ, we'll take you where you are. God will take you where you are. It's not too late to meet Christ. Christ. The gospel's good today. It is effective today for you. It's not too late. If you've rejected God, if you've made an unholy exchange, today's a new day. We start fresh. Come to Christ today. Come to Christ today. The second thing is this. A lot of you guys have already put on the Lord Jesus. You're already a Christian. You're already a Christian. What I want to say to you is that God has given you a calling. He's given you a commission. And the Bible says that you're called to be his ambassador. Now, I don't know about your church, did y'all fight over politics? You know what, in our church, we didn't. And trust me, we got people on the extreme left and the extreme right, and we said, you know what? We are not fighting over political parties. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. None of these guys died on a cross for me. None of these guys can give me abundant life. And if you love them, that's fine, whatever. But what I'm telling you is, God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. If any president, I don't care who he was, 45, 44, 43, 42, all the way back. If any of those presidents said, quick, I want you to be my ambassador. I want you to go to Italy and be my ambassador. I'd go. It'd be awesome. I would love to be an ambassador for the president of the United States. But God has called you to something much, much bigger. Not to be an ambassador for the United States, but to be an ambassador for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Bible says he's trusted us with this ministry of reconciliation. That he's sending you out, that God would be imploring people that they would receive the Lord Jesus Christ and come to him. Okay, so your assignment is this. I want you, in one minute, no more than two minutes to write down how you would explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to a non-believer. Yes, you can email it to me. I think it would be a lot more fun if you would put it on your website and we would flood the ACNA with about 150 of y'all going, hi, I'm so-and-so from Christ Church, Winston-Salem, and here's the gospel. And we would do that, and then people would begin to hear their gospel in their own language. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen.